Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am well. Also, Good. we uh, we are back with another in our series of Dynasty team building. We've got one of our favorite guests. Maybe, I don't know, This he, he might be taking the record here for most visits on the Blueprint. We've got Curtis Patrick. Uh, Curtis, of course, from, from Rotoviz, from Dynasty Command Center. Curtis, how's it going? Thanks for having me back, guys. Anytime I can set a record, uh, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm all about. Um, so hopefully we'll set, we'll set a, or drop a hot record, uh, for the listeners here today, but, um, always good to chat with you guys. And I think this series is such a cool, such a cool idea when you get really into the weeds, uh, with people on their build strategies. Uh, it kind of makes me want to play in some leagues and, and test out, uh, how I can attack, counterattack, uh, what they're trying to do. There's been a ton of great ideas for this series, and we really have opened my eyes. Yeah, they really have, for sure. And uh, we've had on several uh, several great guests so far. And, you know, all these guys are, are excellent dynasty players, but everybody kind of has their own twist on how to, uh, how to build a team. And it certainly is a good reminder that there's no one right way that's, that's going to work for everyone. So hopefully we've presented some great options so far. Uh, Curtis, you are you and I are in enough leagues together that I know you're going to to bring it with the strategy talk today. So we'll we'll jump right into it and we'll start with uh, just just your basic one quarterback dynasty startup. I know you're not doing very many of those anymore, but if you're in a league like that, what what's going to be your strategy that you take into that league? Yeah, I was going to say uh, my strategy with one QB dynasty startups is to avoid them <laughs> at, at this point. Um, Good call. Yeah, um, no, but I think it's still it's still important, and I mean, I, I think especially in high stakes, um, there's still um, there's there's definitely a, a pocket of people that that prefer the format. It's what they're used to. Um, it and you know it allows you to just kind of ignore a position, which is one of the reasons that we're trying to go towards superflex. I think as a community, but when you can ignore uh, the quarterback position, it just makes you know everything possible you can do a zero rb build you can go robust rb you can trade out for picks and understand that you won't need to use any of those picks next year on quarterbacks so um it you know really the world is your oyster and in a single qb dynasty startup draft so if i was approaching it right now you know the first thing that i would do is understand you know you know it's tight end also a onesie position um, look at the scoring. Is it is it one quarterback, but is it six points per passing touchdown? That might give them a little bit of value back. Um, is there a points per carry element that would boost some of those quarterbacks? If it's a true vanilla, I mean, I you know, I'm honestly, I'm just gonna kind of punt that position and mm-hmm. grab maybe a couple of veterans, and then you know, the rookie quarterbacks are always cheap in single QB leagues. Um, that's gonna generally be what I would do, and I'm gonna hammer wide receiver early unless I have like one of the top four picks in the draft. And then I'm going to get one of those um, just absolute stud uh, running backs and then, you know, transition over to the wide receiver position. So that that's kind of uh, the brick and mortar. Um, but of course, once you know your draft slot and once the draft starts, uh, you've got to reevaluate because you can't always execute according to plan. Are you more of a win now guy or build for the, the long term, you know, punt the year type of guy? Man, Matt, I I do not have the stomach to punt yeah, yeah, a yeah. year. Um, I I can't. I'm too competitive, um, and I haven't found that I've needed to do that. Um, I, I've had situations where I've needed to tear a team down 
you know, year three, year four. Um, if I, if I wasn't an active, active enough trader after the first year, um, for example, but when I'm going into a draft, I mean, I'm going to win this year and I'm going to win next year too. Um, that's really, you know, what I'm looking at. Sure. And, um, I'm not afraid, you know, to trade rookie picks to have a great team in the first year. Um, you know, oftentimes you can get some veteran discounts that, you know, once September rolls around, you're going to be able to flip those guys to get some of those rookie picks back. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe, um, th- there's some sort of other, you know, equity that you can build a position gets ignored in the draft by the rest of your, your league mates and, and you can collect some of those guys and flip them later. So, um, but the, the bottom line is really here. Um, I, I'm never going into a draft thinking I want to be the guy that leaves with eight, you know, future rookie picks mm-hmm. and, and has no chance. And you can have your cake and eat it too. It's not like it has to be one or the other. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you build in levels, um, what, what I really would urge people to not do, and I have to check myself sometimes because the temptation of, man, this guy's going to be, you know, a top 16 wide receiver this year and he's only 31. Um, you know, taking those guys out ADP can be, um, you know, it can be a little bit dangerous. And so, um, I'm trying to win, but I'm not going to go after all veterans. Um, you know, so I'm okay getting one or two wide receivers, age 27 or older. But I'm going to depend on my wide receiver three and, and maybe a flex guy. I'm trying to hit like a year two or year three breakout guy and be okay um, going into the season, understanding that one of those people is going to need to emerge. Curtis, you talked about grabbing, uh, likely grabbing that stud running back early. Of course, we've we've seen the running back landscape change over the past couple of years. Uh, I would assume your strategy has changed with it. Uh, you know, several years ago, we were building teams around the wide receiver position. It seems like that has changed for most uh, lately. Is that true for you also? It it has, but I will say the settings of the league dictate everything for me there. So um, I've done, I think, I think I'm in the middle of my fifth startup this year. I wasn't going to join any leagues um, this year. <laughs> and, uh, and, and here we are. Um, so for example, you know, one league that, that you and I, uh, did what probably two months ago now, Ryan was, uh, my black crown dynasty league startup draft. And, um, we're able to start, you know, a, a ton of wide receivers in this format, I think up to seven. And so I, I built around that position and I was happy to take the discounts on veteran players with the idea that I will replenish those guys backfill for the David Johnson's and the James Connors with my rookie picks, uh, in subsequent years. And I really built a foundation around receivers who I think will have um, some level of consistent value over the next few years. And so, I mean, that team has wide receiver core that looks like, uh, you know, Tyree Kill, OBJ, Tyler Boyd, uh, Tyler Lockett, Debo Samuel, um, Nikhil Harry. So it's very, very wide receiver heavy, but it's because, uh, the starting lineup allows you to do that. And I didn't see the need to take on the risk of even a Christian McCaffrey with all the, the mileage that he has on him now. Um, you know, we're going to blank in like 24 months are going to go by and we're not going to feel great about him as a first, a first round startup pick anymore. And so, and that's the nature of the beast with the running backs, but, you know, flip over to like a high stakes FFPC format where I can, I only have to start two wide receivers and only can start four wide receivers. Um, that is a very, very different scenario. So I'm in a, a startup right now, Sean Siegel and I are co-owning in the, uh, pros versus Joe Superflex dynasty startup. 
uh, over there. It's been a really fun draft. We've been very active. I'll talk about some of the strategies we've had for that startup probably later on in the agenda here. Uh, but the idea in that draft was I can start four running backs and only have to start two wide receivers. We went very running back heavy uh, in that draft. And it's also a, a shallow roster situation. So I don't have the, the ability to be patient for these you know, wide receivers to break out in year two or year three. Um, whereas in a league like Black Crown, where we're rostering 30 players, you know, you, you can be patient. You know, there's no cuts and you're not going down to 14 skill position players, et cetera. So, um, you know, ho- hopefully I covered that there. Did I get you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're yeah. the first one we've had in this series that mentioned having a partner, another very, very strong partner. And my, my thoughts were, how much did you guys talk about this before? Hey, we got to take this strategy. And how much have you butted heads? Oh, man. So we could we could probably cut a little segment on this guy. So <laughs> playing playing Dynasty with a partner is so much fun. But it's, I mean, it's, it's like getting married. I mean, you got to have some similar goals. Um, you've got to, you got to be able to have similar values. You got to know how to communicate. You got to be willing to give, got to be, know when you can take without, you know, being too aggressive or being selfish. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And, um, Sean and I had a, this is our first dynasty startup that we've done together, but, um, in, in previous years, we've drafted like a main event team together. So we have a little bit of rapport, but, but man, to answer your question, Matt, we were very, very, um, in the weeds with the details of what our goals were going to be going into this draft. I mean, one, it's high stakes. So there's some decent amount of money on the line. Um, two, in a format like a pros versus Joe's, the bragging rights are very high. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be competitive. We want Rotoviz, uh, to be hoisting that trophy. And so there's a little bit of extra incentive there. But we we did a. Um, you don't want to lose a Joe either. Uh, those the Joes on the FFPC are the real pros. Really? <laughs> so that's that's yeah that's where everything's inverted a little bit. I've, I've been joking with the chat about that. I mean, there, there's guys in there. They're I mean they're literally dumping you know fifteen twenty grand in in buy-ins into Dynasty every year. I mean it's stuff that would blow uh, blow the minds of people who are playing like twenty MFL leagues for twenty five bucks a piece or something. So. Um, it's a little bit, I think, in jest that it's called pros versus Joes. But once you're in on the joke, it, you know, it's, it's fine. But anyway, um, you know, we, we went out and did a, a playbook. Uh, look, it looks actually very similar to what you would see an offensive coordinator holding on the sideline, um, with plays for, you know, certain, um, times of the game. You know, they might have their first seven plays scripted. Well, we probably had our first two or three picks scripted. Hmm. Um, so we've got every round laid out, um, with players, ADPs, and then we highlight our, our, we each got a chance to highlight our targets. Um, we highlighted the guys that we would be more willing to be more aggressive than ADP on. Um, and we marked them green. Um, and guys that we would take at ADP, um, were, were yellow. If, if a guy's not a target at all, um, we would mark them red. So he's basically off the board, but we leave them on there. Um, in the past, I used to pull players off my board if they were undraftable, but you need to understand that that player might be a target for somebody else you're drafting against. And you need to be able to leverage that in trade talks, uh, when, when the time comes, you're on the clock. So we leave those players on, but we just color code them accordingly. And then for players, you know, that we're kind of lukewarm on, um, there's no color code whatsoever, but we're generally going to fade them unless they drop like a half a round or a round in ADP. So we've got that laid out about 20 rounds deep. Uh, and, 
And I mean, it's been really, really interesting. Um, I, I think I'm going to be doing this for, for every draft from now on. It's a lot of work, but it just makes it so easy because when you're on the clock, it's like, well, I already knew what play I was going to call when I got here. Um, or, you know, Hey, there's eight guys from two rounds ago. They're still on the board. Um, this is a spot where I need to trade some rookie picks and get in here because I saw a lot of value in here before the draft started. Yeah, that's, that's awesome stuff on, uh, on how you've prepared for that league. That's, that's one thing we wanted to ask, uh, ask you about. And it sounds like when you put that much work into it ahead of time, like you said, it, it just makes the actual draft process, uh, feel, feel smooth and, and pretty easy for you. Talk a little bit, and, and I would love for you to use that format. I believe it's super flex, and, and like you said earlier, that's that's kind of what the majority probably of our audience is playing now. Uh, in a super flex league, and, and we can just kind of go with, with general settings beyond that, uh, what does your your game plan look like when it comes to specific positions? Are you, are you focusing on quarterback because of the super flex, or are you – waiting on that, punting that position and, and taking the advantage at other spots. How, how did you attack that? Well, I've done it. I've done it both ways. I've done it both ways this year, actually, as I'm, I'm personally becoming more invested in, in the super flex format. And I found myself much happier when I'm, when I'm more heavily invested in quarterback earlier in the draft. Um, you know, I, I think when I first flipped over uh, to super flex, you know, the late round QB mantra that's been just, you know, beat into all of our heads for the last decade. And, and for the most part, for good reason, it's like, all right, well, I'm cool having, you know, Kirk Cousins and Jimmy Garoppolo as my quarterbacks. And, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to spend early capital. But the thing is, is the quarterbacks maintain, especially the good ones, they maintain value so well. And, and they're like instantly worth more than whatever you paid for them in hmm. the startup. You know, like in a super flex startup right now, it's not even a lock that Mahomes or Lamar Jackson is going to go one on one because of positional scarcity. But like after the draft, I guarantee it's easier to trade for CMC. It's way easier to trade for no Christian McCaffrey than for Mahomes yeah. or Lamar Jackson. And so, so there's there's like a, a dyssynchrony that exists there between what you paid in the draft versus a value right after the draft. And so I, I found myself much more comfortable. Um, going for, you know, a pair of like, say, top eight quarterbacks in a super flex a startup. So I, I have, uh, three teams now where I've got, uh, a Dak and Deshaun, Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson stack. I've got a team where I've got a Dak, uh, Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson stack. Um, and that's, that's generally what I'm doing. Now in this pros versus Joe's, um, format, a lot of these other guys evidently feel the same. And so, now quarterback was drafted very aggressively there, but um, so we had faded the position largely. But during the draft, we actually went ahead and traded for the quarterback that we wanted, um, that w- which was Dak Prescott, because of those those top guys. It just seems like you get a little discount, um, even though he's right there in the team picture. So, yeah. and and that kind of m- melds right into a point I want to make about superflex startups. It is just so stinking easy to trade up and down the board. It is so easy. And so the, the reason that I like the idea of being more aggressive with quarterback and, and super flex is so many values get pushed down at other positions, particularly wide receiver and tight end, um, that it feels safe to do it. Um, if everyone's chasing the quarterbacks, then those other, those other players fall and, and you're not going to get locked out of those positions. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So when a 
when the draft begins, how do you actually execute your strategy? Uh, it, it sounds like this this playbook that you guys have have created certainly helped. But but in general, uh, how are you monitoring, uh, you know, position runs, what other teams are doing, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm looking at the board. Let, so let's use an eight hour clock as an example. I think that's a pretty common setting. Um, I've been part of some startups where there's no clock and it's an honor system, but those get a little bit obnoxious. I think more people can probably relate to some sort of clock. So if there's an eight hour clock, um, I'm probably logging in to check that board once an hour. Um, if I'm awake, that's just, <laughs> I, I don't like, I don't like to, to, to leave my, I guess to, turn my attention totally away from the draft and allow something to happen. So, um, but I also don't really like having notifications just going off my phone like crazy. Um, so I'm just constantly opening the board, looking at it. Um, I especially try to memorize, you know, the teams within two to three picks of us. Uh, those are the really the most important teams to keep track of. Um, unless you end up in a really active startup where people are trading up and down the board. Typically that's not the experience that you'll see. And then a lot of startups that I do, uh, you might see a dozen trades total in 25 rounds. Um, an extreme example would be like this FFPC startup that we're in right now. I think Sean and I have actually executed 10 trades ourselves. Wow. I mean, the, yeah, there's, pro- there's probably been, there have to have been 30 to 40 trades in the startup, and it's only in like the 14th round. Um, so you, you've got to take the temperature of the room really quickly. A lot of times this plays out within the first round of the draft. Especially if the person who draws the 101, if it's not, a, we're, we're actually talking like a snake format here, not an auction. The person who draws the 101 is somebody who is willing to trade. It just sets off a waterfall. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen this happen a couple of times. And so that's like, when, when I see that happen, it's like Christmas to me when there's going to be an engaged room and, you know, seven or eight owners are going to be willing to move around. That's literally why I love doing startups. It's because you can move around and build the team that you want when people are willing to trade. Otherwise, you're just locked into ADP and like, you know, whatever. Like, let's just all enter our ranks and do an auto draft. <laughs> and you can see it right away. I mean, the one one guy gets out of there and you're like, oh, this is going to be fun. For for sure. Yeah. Or or he, he picks right away. And then, the, you know, the one, two. The, I think the two, three are really common spots for a trade out right now because, you know, if... If somebody veers and doesn't take a quarterback or doesn't take CMC rather 101, well, now all of a sudden the running back has fallen to one, two. And that guy's like, all right, well, I'm going to trade back to one, three and let somebody have their choice of Lamar or McCaffrey. And it just kind of keeps going on down and down. Makes sense. And then you've got in a super flex, the beautiful thing is besides those people that have two of the top three picks, there's going to be somebody in that league that's in love with Kyler Murray right now. There's going to be somebody else who is going to miss out on Kyler around the seventh or eighth pick and feel like they want to bump up there and get Dak or Deshaun Watson. And those moves for those elite quarterbacks just create all types of um, all types of movement. Like yeah, it is yeah. totally a ripple effect, man. Um, and so, so really, that first round you got to you got to watch. And then, I mean, you just got to be relentless. You got to you got to create relationships with everyone in the room um, that is willing to to converse with you. And just be relentless about every single round or every half round. What are you thinking here? Uh, you know, I noticed, you know, our teams would complement each other. I'm a little heavy on this position. You're a little light there. I can tell you missed out on your guy. I mean, you just got to be talking. And I, the more effort you put into those relationships during a startup, 
I think the more it's going to generally pay off for you. Um, the startup, you got to think about this. The startup is the most active that your league will ever be. It will never be more engaged. The closest it will ever come is a rookie draft each year. But right now you're building the whole team and everyone is coming together willing to talk for you know a week or two, however long this draft's going to take, unless it's live. You'll never get the type of response ever again. Even in round 20, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so the goal the goal is is to execute your playbook or even better than your playbook and feel great about your team post startup. I'm sure we're going to talk about what do you do after the startup? Well, after the startup for like three months, probably not much because everyone is locked into their teams and they're going to let the season start before they really do much. And they I mean, drafted a guy because they liked them and don't want to trade them. 100%. Right. But, you know, it's round seven and my starting lineup's not filled out and I missed out on a positional run two rounds ago. Well, maybe I will trade with you. I got an opportunity to to change a construct of this team before the draft's over. And you get enough owners with that mentality. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's blood in the water and I'm a shark. So, um, that's, that's my, that's the way we're, we're approaching it. And like I said, in, in this particular draft, we've, we've probably made, uh, at, at least 10 trades on our own. And, you know, just the proof's in the pudding here, guys. So this is a super flex startup. It's high stakes dynasty. There's, there's five other site based drafters and, and six guys that spend a lot of money on dynasty. So they're either, really good or they're overconfident one of the two and our team is christian mccaffrey michael thomas dalvin cook dak prescott we've got all four of those guys and this we, we've made trades upon trades upon trades upon trades but you're a, you're you're definitely a contender this year no matter what i would say for like three years i hope right, right, um, right. it's a it's a yeah it's a shallow uh shallow starting roster type situation and you can only keep 14 skill position players um year to year to year uh, the format's really more akin to like a deep, a deep, uh, keeper league in some ways. And so, um, we adjusted our strategy for that. And, you know, a uh, second round picks, third round picks, the late round picks, they're not as important. Um, they're not as important in a, in a shallow format. So, so anyway, you know, I, I think maybe the takeaway here is I've definitely never put more effort into a startup, um, than I have for this. And, you know, I think that the, the product is, uh, a result of that preparation. I'm curious, and so I've never engaged in something that intense or that valuable, frankly. Or you know, how are, do the tensions run really hot? You know, like if you leap somebody and take their guy, do they lose their mind? Do you guys lose your mind if that happens to you? Do you're throwing things? You know what I mean? Like how fired up do you get on as the draft goes? Your heart beating out of your chest, you know? <sighs> yeah, man. Um, <laughs> It, it, it can, but again, if you've got a playbook, you, you know where you're going. If it doesn't go that, you know, it's, you don't spend the time lamenting it. You know, I can either execute, you know, this pick because this was the next highest guy on my board and this is the path that we've gone down. Or, you know what? Instead of sitting here and being pissed that I missed my guy, I'm going to go trade for him. We've done that multiple times in this draft and just be, just be aggressive because the, the trade that you make for that guy, you may, you may, rearrange and now I don't have a pick for the next two or three rounds because of what I had to do. Well, guess what? There's going to be people looking to trade down later, you know, when they're in between their tiers. And so, you know, we, we've gone down the escalator and back up the escalator, you know, multiple times, uh, in, in this thing. And I, I'm honestly kind of obsessed with, with the way that this thing has played out. And so I, there probably will never be another startup that will play out just quite like this. 
but it's definitely going to be the amount of energy. I mean, I'm not going to even agree to be in a startup unless I can put this much effort into it um, in, in the future because you've tasted the good life almost, you know, like, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's just been so pleasing to have the aggressiveness pay off, you know, 80% of, in 80% of cases we've had, once we got into the double digit rounds, we've definitely been sniped. Uh, we actually got sniped three rounds, three rounds in a row, uh, two out of the three rounds by Pat Crane, who is a Rotoviz alum and thinks very like-minded, mm-hmm. um, to Sean especially, but also, um, I would say maybe leans a little bit more towards some of my tendencies of wanting to win immediately. Um, but it's been a real point of pride actually that he veered off when now, when he saw what we were doing with our team. So, um, that was something that kind of wanted me to, uh, made me want to beat my chest a little bit. But I mean, honestly, you know, the takeaway, the right, the thing to write down here is, I mean, make yourself be active and have the trade talks. Um, and, and, and you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if, the, if they say no, that's fine. Ask them 50 times. Mm-hmm. What do you, you know, there's been four more picks still. Is it still a no? Maybe it's not a no anymore. Next time they're on the clock, ask them again. You know, yep. yeah, just keep bugging them. Yeah. Curtis, I wanted to ask you if if you're in a startup draft, if you are more likely to trade up or to trade down. But from the sound of it, it sounds like you're moving up and down all over the board. Yeah, up, up and down and all around. And I think the thing that the thing that I think um, is part of my permanent playbook is don't be afraid to try to get a player and don't be afraid to trade somebody you just drafted. A lot of times in a startup it's so tempting to think about the picks as your asset, you know, right? It's the, okay, well, this guy's off the board and, you know, now I've got the picks that I've got left and the players that haven't been drafted. Those are the assets that can change hands. But if, if there's a player on the board, who's an extreme value, he may not even be part of your playbook, but maybe you make a trade to go get him because you know what you can do. Um, and, and, and a draft recently, Juju fell to three ten. Okay. Well, went ahead and drafted Juju and then flipped him for profit and turned, <laughs> turned that into a pretty nice roster situation. So, so you think a lot of people were trying to get the 310 at the time? Well, no, he's just following, following or falling inexplicably. Okay. And then, the, you know, once people start to fill their lineups out and then, you know, they look at the board and they realize, well, I'm an idiot. How did I let Juju fall this far? Okay. Well, now you have a, you have a chip that you can move when people start getting into round six and seven and they realize, Okay, like now I'm kind of stuck, like taking a rookie wide receiver that I don't want to count on in my starting lineup, or I've got to start drafting these old guys um, that are going to lose value from the moment that you know it's like a used car. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden, it it becomes, you know, it becomes a likelihood that you can move that player. People kill for Juju at that point of the draft, then. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I want to really hone in on Juju too much. It's yeah. it's more about being willing to put yourself out there when a value presents itself to be aggressive and you're okay. I mean, I'm okay. If I get stuck with Juju, there's a value there, mm-hmm. but the, the even bigger value is to, to make a profit on them in the draft when other people feel silly for, for letting him fall. Curtis, any, uh, in, any other general tips for a, a startup draft before we move on? Don't join a league. Don't join a league unless you're going to take it serious. Um, I, I'm, I, all of us are guilty of that for sure. Yeah. You know, your, your buddy, like one more, one more. And if you're not going to put the effort into it, you're going to abandon it. It's just going to feel like a chore. Um, and I mean, have, have enough pride, have enough pride to, to, to want to win. And, um, that's where the, that's where the fun's going to come. 
that's where the fun's going to come from. So take it serious, man. And then it becomes contagious and the league gets stale overall. And you're 100% right. Uh, folks, do you think you're smarter than an NFL GM? Do you think you're the best at fantasy football? If you've been listening to us, you must be all right. But here's your chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner is the only patented yes, fantasy sports game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. You manage your team from all levels, owner to general manager to coach. Dynasty Owner is for the smart and elite fantasy football player. There's no offseason at Dynasty Owner. The rookie draft matters. Free agency matters. And every contract matters. Come to a startup draft in 2020 using actual NFL players, contracts, and salaries. Then improve your team each year with a three-round rookie draft and by trading players and draft picks. Win weekly prizes, seasonal prizes, and compete in the chase for the ring. The mobile app has been developed and is ready to download on iOS and Android. Mock drafts are open now on desktop and mobile browsers. To learn more and mock draft for free, go to www.dynastyowner.com. Curtis, let's transfer over to rookie drafts. Uh, Leading up to rookie drafts, are are you one who uh, would normally trade away those rookie picks or are you collecting them and and trying to build those up in in anticipation of the drafts? A format's going to dictate that a little bit. Um, And going back to the 1QB where we started the episode, definitely more likely to move those picks. In Superflex, um, I'm willing to move first but i don't want to move my first and my seconds um i think seconds are consistently undervalued in Superflex. um i mean you, typically you're gonna have four or five quarterbacks maybe um that that work their way into like the top 18 and so what it really does is extend the first round um it, it really extends the first round because even the quarterbacks that, that might not be opening day starters they really just have immense value um right after a rookie draft is over so um I also find it's just easier. It's easier to get a rookie pick that I've traded away. It's easier to to go get another one to replace it in a one QB format. Um, you know, typically you're, you're going to have some depth at the wide receiver position in particular, uh, or maybe an aging running back that you can move toward the deadline when somebody's trying to score some points and, and squeak in. So um, that that's really the the split for me is the, based off the format. But I don't have an aversion to collecting or or trading them. I mean. Whatever makes sense for, for my roster at that time, um, I'm going to do it because I can always undo it if I need to. It sounds like you're such a trader that if I'm going to get the better end of the deal and it means racking up draft picks, well, I'll grab them and then I'll move them later. Yeah, especially if it's uh, if it's you know a post-peak player or even a prime-age player. I typically would feel sick to my stomach if I move you know, somebody before they've really peaked. Like, I, I wouldn't really be wanting to move like an A.J. Brown, for example, right now for a, a pick heavy deal, but I'd be more open to doing that with somebody like, you know, Odo Beckham Jr. or something where T.Y. it's Hilton. A, a not, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially like a T.Y., sure. but like T.Y. two years ago okay. um, before, you know, before he had started to, uh, to, to lose some value and have the injuries, you know, being, being willing to, you know, trade the guy, you know, two years early, a year early, those types of things. It, it's not going to come back to haunt you. Whereas you trade, you know, the 22-year-old, 23-year-old wide receiver that already busted out or the 21-year-old back, you know, it's like they're laughing at you the rest of their career every time they have a big game. And uh, that, that just that's a gut punch every time. I had that guy, yeah. Curtis, when have you found is the, the best time to acquire those rookie picks? Oh, man. Um, typically, 
like Octoberish is usually pretty good time. Um, yeah, I, I think you know during the season generally, um, it, you know, but once you get a little bit too late in the season, the guys that are out of contention um, realize they're out of contention, and now you have more. There's more competition to buy the picks, so that starts to drive the price up. And then in December, uh, folks like you know you guys over at DLF or us at Rotoviz, the people that are really on the Debbie game in particular have a head start on all this rookie research and we start leaking out. Here's our way too early top 36 rookies for next year. And from that point on, it's you're climbing the roller coaster of value um, all the way really until a month after the NFL draft uh, in particular. And then I th- think there's a plateau that, that pretty much sticks there until the, the season starts and, people value production a little bit more than, than future assets. Curtis, when you're, when you're in that rookie draft, do you find yourself uh, focusing on your team needs or are you just taking the best player available? Yeah. I mean, probably 99.9% of the time I'm going to take the best player available uh, again, because I like to be active and and move assets around The, the one, the one thing that I would say is in a tier based system, especially once you get deeper in the draft, like, Typically, this is going to happen in the second round, maybe halfway through the second round in a super flex draft, or maybe closer to the front half of the second round in a, in a one QB draft. You can get to the point where, you know, the players available, there's just less space between the quality of prospects um, than there there is at the, the prospects at the top of that class. And so I might give tiebreakers to a player to position within a tier. Um, I'm not doing that you know, early in a rookie draft, but as the draft marches on, you know, I might lean, lean to a player as long as I'm not going down a tier. I might lean to a position. We've talked a lot of super flex on this episode. So let's, let's kind of dig in on that a little bit more. You're in a rookie draft and you've got a, a stacked group of quarterbacks. You talked about some of your actual leagues earlier with, with Watson and Dak and, and situations like that. So if you've got an early pick in, a super flex league and you've got that strong quarterback group already. Are you still, still going BPA or are you um, maybe going away from the quarterback position due to that depth? No, I'm still going BPA and, and high, high end drafts. If there's a true Sterling quarterback, you can't afford, you can't afford to let him go by. And I've learned this actually, um, you and I, I've probably never had this conversation before, um, but I've observed you do this in, in your highly challenging kitchen sink leagues um, to where, you know, I've seen you stockpile Debbie quarterbacks or, you know, in, end up with this team. I think you did this in kitchen Cinco where you had like eight quarterbacks at one point that were all like, you know, if not top 32, you might've had six top 32 quarterbacks and then some of the high end Debbie assets. And, and those are just gold bars that you can move around when it's time to build your team. Another guy that does this very well is Jeff Tiefer Tiller. Uh, every league I'm in with him, he owns just an embarrassment of riches at quarterback. And he uses that to um, go, you know, procure what he needs uh, to get at the other position. So, again, it's that thought that me selecting this player in the rookie draft, that's not the end of the road. You know, they don't just get stuck on my roster and um, – you know, ball, it's not a ball and chain situation. I mean, literally, I mean, I could select him and move him before the next pick comes off the board. So, um, lock in the value gains 
uh, whether you need that player or not. It's, I mean, if it's Ryan or Jeff or, you know, any one person in the league has that kind of wealth at quarterback, there's probably six other teams that would really like to get those guys. And there's probably two that need them. You know, that it's different if, boy, I'd really like to add that quarterback or I have no choice. I mean, I'm, I am such in a corner. I have to pay up through the nose for that guy. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm in that situation and dealing with trying to deal with, with Jeff. And, uh, I think it's in KS3 where, uh, we had a battle. I went after Andrew Luck, uh, as a restricted free agent, uh, and probably the biggest battle biggest war in kitchen sink history that actually led to a rule change <laughs> because of uh, this battle that Nathan Powell and I had. Um, but, but anyway, you know, I, I ended up um, lo- losing that battle and having traded away, you know, some, some valuable assets and, and, you know, fast forward about six months down the road. And I'm in a situation where I got like Ryan Fitzpatrick as my QB two. Yeah. And that's a, that's, it's a, it's a dangerous situation. I'm strong. I'm strong elsewhere. But I'm sure Jeff's sitting there, you know, just uh, twiddling his thumbs, you know, stroking a long-haired cat. He knows, he knows I'm not going to be able to roll into the season. The first time that we see Tua take a snap on a Sunday in relief duty, he knows I'm going to have to overpay for one of those guys unless I'm willing to punt. And you have to come to him. It's not oh, like you, absolutely. It's not like other he, five he, other owners you can talk to. Nah, man, he's the bank teller, <laughs> and uh, and I'm the customer, so. So, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't really encourage that strategy. Like, I don't want people to take, hear this and like take it too far. Cause we've all played in a, in a league with the guy during the draft that's like, all right, agnostic of value, like throwing all caution in the wind. I'm going to draft way too many players at the same position. Um, you'll even see this in, I actually see this in like casual redraft leagues. Like, a, this is a home league thing, like that somebody would do is draft like five quarterbacks in the first six rounds or something just to make everybody mad thinking they can trade those players later. You have to understand the format you're playing in. Mm -hmm. But when we're talking about rookie drafts, the idea of taking best player available, um, even if it doesn't fit your team need, I I think there is an argument to do that uh, because you will be able to extract that value for a player that you do need at another time. Curtis, let's talk a little bit about, uh, production versus value in rookie drafts. Uh, I think this is, is becoming a more and more important topic as we see both strong classes, especially this year at, at both running back and wide receiver. And, you know, I, I've had kind of some internal battles with uh, players like, uh, or, or decisions like DeAndre Swift versus CD lamb, or, you know, we've, we've got, Keyshawn Vaughn at the end of the first round, not really a player I'm considering, but certainly many are, and and you've got several wide receivers in that range as well. If we fast forward two or three years, I think most of us would agree that the the wide receiver is going to carry the value there, but it's that running back that we expect to produce in 2020 and and maybe 2021 as well. So when you're making that pick and and deciding uh, between players in, in those situations, What's the difference maker for you? So we talked about, you know, within a tier, showing a a preference for a position uh, based off of, you know, market dynamics uh, a couple minutes ago. It was a different situation, but I think it carries over here. And so, you know, there are are definitely guys that I play with. I think you had Scott Connor on an earlier episode. I know he does this. 
is he basically just pushes all the running backs to the top of the board. Um, because there's a flip, there's going to be the earliest flip opportunity. Even if it's a guy you don't believe in, you're going to be able to sell at a profit uh, as long as that guy didn't, you know, bust his knee or something, uh, over the course of the summer. But, you know, within drafts, there exist good running back prospects. And then there exists, um, guys who will produce if the ball is handed to them. And that's pretty much true of all running backs. And it's why, you know, yeah, and you know it's 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 over the course of the past couple of years, you know, until this kind of aggressive running back, you know, high T team building uh, mentality came back. You know, for a while it was you know the running backs don't matter was you know the thing that everyone was saying, and it's because in some ways it's very true. I mean, if you're handed the ball and then you get the short dump off passes, I mean. It's, it's not as important what happens after you get the ball because you are going to, you know, you're going to pad the stats with that stuff and anybody that they put, put back there can do it. Um, and you're not having to get open against a cornerback. It's the, the quarterback is putting the ball in your gut or throwing it to you before the defense is on you and you're going to get some stats for that. Just so many opportunities. Yeah. So many, so many opportunities. And so, um, you know, Scott's one example of that and he's, he's an excellent dynasty player that works for him. Um, for me, uh, early in drafts, I, I probably flipped in my strategy versus where I was three years ago. Ties in like the top three to top five of a draft are going to go to a running back now. But as I go down the board, I mean, in a, in a class like this in 2020, the quality of depth that wide receiver is such that, I mean, I'm making the call for a wide receiver in round two over the back, like every time, like or even at the end of the first round, like to use this year as a specific example, there's no way I'm taking Keyshawn Vaughn over LaVisca Chenault or Denzel Mims or any of those guys because, you know, you can look at those guys through, like we do at Rotoviz, a, a data-driven research process and see there's reason there's reason to be optimistic about what they could do. Mm-hmm. It's studies that many people have done. Ryan's done some of these studies. I remember a really big study that, you did back in like 2017, I think was the last time you really refreshed this study on the value of uh, rookies uh, over the course of their first 12 months. And I mean, those high, those highly drafted wide receivers, I mean, it's, it's kind of like investing in a bond, you know? I mean, even if they don't produce in the first year, like they're still pretty much worth uh, what they were worth when you drafted them. Um, and the double-edged sword of getting early opportunity, especially as a running back, is if you look bad, you're probably not going to regain that. You're probably not going to regain that uh, value. It's almost better in some ways to still have that intrigue, that mystery out there. Like Nikhil Harry has maintained a lot more value than one might anticipate based off of what, you know, all the stats he didn't put up in the first year. Um, But that's a lot better than if he had gone out there like DJ Chark did a couple years ago, um, played like every game and just put up nothing. I mean, you remember how cheap DJ Chark was after his rookie year? Sure. Like he, his ADP was like outside like the two top two hundred or something. So you know, not getting to see Nikhil Harry for a good part of the season because of you know being inactive. You know, I think it's it's a one way that you know an asset becomes a little bit of a safer investment. And so I think as you advance down through a rookie draft, um, it's okay to change it. So at the top of a rookie draft, I'm going to favor a running back as long as they had you know, day two or better draft capital, um, especially if they were a power five back and not a small school back. We've been burned on that a couple times recently. I'm being very, very cautious. 
Um, yeah, but but once you get through those elite blue chip backs, just you know collect those wide receivers. Yeah, makes sense. Curtis, great stuff uh, so far on uh, dynasty startup strategy, rookie draft strategy. We're going to uh, pause things here. We'd love to have you back on our next episode to talk some trade talk and uh, general team management. Uh, for now, though, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Okay, so uh, if you just you know if you like what you're hearing and you just want to listen to me uh, and you want something that is free, uh, you can check me out on the Dynasty Command Center podcast. Actually, retooling that probably shortly after you listen to this episode, I'll be releasing kind of a a grand reopening of that podcast. So Travis May and I were were podcast partners on that uh, for the better part of a year, and he's splitting off and doing some Debbie work, and so. It's going to be a solo show. I'm going to be inviting some um, huge guests. Uh, the first show is going to be me, Scott Barrett, and Sean Siegel cutting it up. It's going to be epic. So you can check that out, Dynasty Command Center Podcast. Um, if you want to read my written word, of course, I'm at Rotoviz. Um, all my rankings are there for every Dynasty format and, and for Debbie. And, you know, I'm writing tactical, strategic articles that are you, know, you can apply to the league that you're in. Um, yeah, so that, uh, on Twitter, you know, you if you're on Twitter, you can follow me at C Patrick NFL. Um, I don't like to do Twitter drops, but I'll, I'll do it. Cause maybe there's somebody out there that's like, I've never downloaded Twitter. What is this? <laughs> I'm going to check, check this guy out on there. Uh, it's f- time to get the blue square at the white bird. So at C Patrick NFL. All right. Great stuff. As always, Curtis, thanks for joining us. We'll be back next time with more dynasty. Blueprint. Blueprint.